We live in a nation that is obsessed with health. We have all kinds of gyms and workout places. We have nutritionists, we have coaches, we have trainers, uh, we have doctors, we have uh, people who are physical therapists who will stretch you out after you work out. Uh, there are all kinds of YouTube videos about what to eat and how to work out. Uh, and, and now we're finding out that it's more than nutrition and more than working out and you have to have proper rest to recover. And now we have apps that tell us if you have slept enough. Not only have you slept enough, but have you had the right kind of sleep? Have you had the REM sleep, the, the rapid eye movement sleep, where, you are, where your body repairs itself? So now, now we're not only anxious about not being able to go to sleep, now we're worried we won't have the right kind of sleep. There's always something we need to do or add. We need to watch how much sugar we take in. We need to watch how much flour we need to watch how much uh, fat we take in and what kind of fat it is. You don't have time to eat anymore. You're too busy reading about what you're eating. But human beings are complex, complicated beings. It takes a lot for us to be in good health. Takes a strong body, a strong heart, strong mind. And according to Peter in Acts chapter 3, if you want to be in perfect health, you need Jesus. That's what he says. Stand with me in honor of God's word as I read this passage to you. We're going to pick up in the middle of a conversation between Peter and the crowd after the man who was crippled had been healed. While he, the man who had been healed, was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Fellow Israelites, he said, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though Pilate had decided to let Jesus go. You denied the holy and righteous one and, have asked, and asked to have a murder released to you. You killed the source of life, whom God raised from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given this man perfect health in front of all of you. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. What we would do to have a moment like that, what we would do to have something like that happen around us, through us. So we pray whatever you did to Peter and John in that moment, do now to us. 
so we can do what they did in the community around us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Whoa, there's a lot, lot, lot going on in this story. Now, let's go back a little bit and catch you up to this moment. Peter and John were going to the temple to pray. It was their custom. It was their habit. This was something they did every day. And they walked by a man that they had probably seen before. This man had found out that if he placed himself right at the door of the temple, he would, he was at a great place for two reasons. One of the reasons was going to work. Either people felt guilty going into church, going into the temple, so they would give on their way in, so they would have done one good deed before they went to meet God in prayer and worship. Or they felt so good coming out of worship that their goodness would overflow and they would be generous in their giving of alms on their way out. Either coming or going, he had a good chance of getting something from everybody. So he sees Peter and John. He calls out to them. And they reply with the famous answer. Look at us. We don't have silver. We don't have gold. What we do have we give to you freely in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And he did. Well, you can imagine that stirred up everybody in the temple. I tell you all the time, nothing messes up a church more than when God starts saving the wrong people. Right? Everybody has a role. This man's a cripple. He's by the front door. He takes alms. That's his place. That's where he belongs. We go in and out of the temple and we worship. Now this guy's standing up. He's going to be taking our place. What will we do? Now, not only does it cause a stir, it draws a crowd. Now get this. This same Peter who couldn't defend the faith to a teenage girl who challenged him at the crucifixion of Jesus now won't shut up. I mean, this is not the first sermon that we have from Peter in, 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 the, in the Gospel of Acts, in the, the book of Acts. He is preaching every time people would get around him. And he preaches again. It's not us who healed this man. It's the man that you crucified. It's this one Jesus that Pilate was going to release. But you chose a murderer. Translation of the murderer there, Barnabas was a terrorist. Uh, he was someone who actively and brutally opposed the Roman rule and had attacked Roman soldiers and had, was trying to run Rome out of Jerusalem so that Israel could be restored. He was a terrorist. The very same thing that Jesus had rejected. I'm not going to be that kind of king. The people chose in Barnabas, a Barabbas. Jesus wasn't going to be the kind of king that Barabbas wanted to be. And so Peter and John preached. And what they preached, did you, read, did you read their sermons? Have you read the sermons in Acts? I hope you do. They are filled with Old Testament references. We always want to know what happened to the disciples when they were meeting in that upper room for 40 days. Now remember, Jesus meets with them and says, go to 
Jerusalem, wait, and I'll send the Spirit. When it comes, then you'll know what to do. Next, they didn't know what it was going to look like when the Spirit came, so they were waiting for him to come. And while they were waiting, they were praying. While they were waiting, they were studying Scripture. They were reading the story of Abraham where God tells Abraham, through you I will bless all the nations of the world. They begin to understand, ah, when God was promising that to Abraham, he was talking about Jesus. When God promised this to Moses, he was talking about Jesus. When when God said this to David, he was talking about Jesus. They began to understand the story of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his promised return in the light of what God had been doing all along. From the very first story that began the nation of Israel, God had been working the whole time to reveal Jesus at this moment, and that was the sermon that they preached. Now, let's think about this a minute. How many of you have said, Boy, I would do anything if this would happen in one of our church services. I, I would give anything if there was this kind of healing. If there was this kind of, of miracle, that would be great. All right. Would you pray for it for 40 days? Would you study scripture for 40 days? Would you do nothing? but pray and study scripture for 40 days. See, we want the power that the disciples had without paying the price that the disciples paid. You want to be like that, but honestly, it's all we can do to get you to turn your phones off. There's a reason you don't see sermons like this anymore. Few Christians in North America are willing to pay that kind of price. The result is when the world looks at us, we don't have anything to give. Earlier in the story, Peter and John told this man to look at us. Look at us. The world has a right to look at the church and expect something of meaning, something of hope. I tell you this all the time, I'll tell you again. The world is not mad at the church because we're different. They're mad at us because we're not different enough. They show up, they meet us, they hang out with us, and they discover you're just like them. I'm just like them. And it disappoints them because they were looking for something more. And sometimes we wonder, don't we, if the church can actually do anything that helps. I don't know if you've been reading lately about 
the trouble that our young girls are in, our girls, teenagers, and young women are in. Have you been reading this? According to recent studies that they're publishing now, 50% of these young ladies, 50% have considered suicide. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big stats guy. Let's say they're wrong. Let's say they're, 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 they're wrong twice, two times. Let's say there's only 25% of our young ladies, our teenage girls who are contemplating suicide. That's still too much. A lot of these young ladies are responding to deep wounds of trauma. What do you say? Here's the first thing you say. You are loved. You don't have to do anything to earn that love. You don't have to go anywhere to buy it. You can't do anything to deserve it. You are loved. Not only that, you were loved before you got here. Before your parents fell in love, you were loved. Before your parents were born, you were loved. And there's nothing in the world you can do where Jesus will stop loving you. There's no line you can cross where Jesus will say, that's it, I'm done. No darkness you can hide in that the light of Jesus can't shine. You are loved. You tell you something else? You're known. That's scary, isn't it? Somebody to know you like. Some of you moved to Nashville because you were known in your hometown. All right? You left LA, lower Alabama. <laughs> and you moved up here to the big city of Nashville. Scares you to death when somebody says, hey, I met somebody who knew you. You know, in a few minutes, we're going, to, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And it's, it's interesting that, that Jesus invites us to a table to sit down with him. And see, it's at this table where you realize you're loved and he invites you to lay all your stuff out on the table in front of him. You're scared to death that somebody will know this. Listen to me, Jesus already knows. You're not going to flip a card and lay it on the table and Jesus go, wow, I didn't know that. When did that happen? No. You're going to say this was the worst moment of my life and Jesus is going to say, I know I was there.
and you'll have a safe place, a place where you're loved, a place where you're known. Start dealing with your junk so it stops dealing with you. You know, the problem isn't that the world doesn't believe. The problem is the church doesn't believe. The problem is you and I don't believe. You see, before the miracle could happen in this man, the miracle had to happen in Peter and John. See, what I love about the story is that the one thing the gospel does is that it restores dignity to you. The world does everything it can to beat you down, to tell you to lay down, sit down, don't get up. And it's Jesus who says, stand up. Gives you that dignity back. He restores that dignity that the world robs away from you and says to you, stand up. This same Peter who caved in front of a teenage girl is now standing in the center of Jerusalem, is now standing in front of the religious leaders preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before the man could stand, Peter and John had to stand. Before the world can believe, you and I have to. Now I know it is a complex world, it's a complicated world, and Jesus knew about all the distractions. That's why he gave us this moment of the table. The deacons will be taking their places now to serve you. And as they prepare to serve you, you prepare your own heart for the receiving of the Lord's Supper, for the taking of the bread and the receiving of the, of the cup. Take both cups, the bread will be in the bottom cup, the juice will be in the top one. And join us as we remember that we are loved and we are known. Remember that it's in the name of Jesus that you're called to stand. As the deacons serve you now, remember.